to another edition of the Null Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Carls. It is Wednesday, November 23rd. We are two days away from Florida State kicking it off against their rival, the Florida Gators, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, Black Friday, Goat Campbell Stadium on ABC. We're one day away from Thanksgiving, so I want to quickly wish our listeners a, a happy Thanksgiving and uh, for this podcast today, we're going to have Andrew Ivins, a national recruiting analyst for 247 Sports, join the show to talk about a whole bunch of recruiting news from, from Big 3 recruiting to Florida State recruiting to four-star quarterback Brock Glenn committing to the Seminoles, the transfer portal, and, and a whole lot more. And then after that, Essen and I will break down the matchup of Florida State and Florida so without further ado, here is Andrew Ivins. Okay, we are now joined by Andrew Ivins, a national recruiting analyst for 247 Sports. We figured with Florida State playing Florida this Friday, a lot of recruiting to talk about. I mean, the big three recruiting is, is really heating up between Florida State, Florida, and Miami. Obviously, a big storyline for this season has been you know, first-year head coaches Billy Napier and, and Mario Cristobal and just how, how well they've done on the recruiting trail, but not showing up on the field just yet and, and what FSU's been able to do. So, Andrew, we, we got kind of a lot of uh, topics we want to cover, but, you know, just starting off this game being played on a Friday, it, it's, it's kind of funny because you, you see some of the advantages with uh, maybe being a standalone game and getting more eyeballs on you. But you also think, well, this is conflicting with some high school playoffs around the state, around Georgia, and other places in the southeast. I'm just wondering maybe your thoughts about this game, and and, and, and do you like it being on a Friday, and, and, and just, yeah, your overall kind of thoughts. <laughs> I don't like it being on a Friday. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just weird being Black Friday, and this is kind of even a more unique Black Friday, you, what, you got the World Cup going on, obviously the United States plays England that afternoon, and then everyone's going to shift gears over to uh, what I think is one of the big, best rivalries in the sport. I mean, Florida Florida State, I hate the cliche term, throw the records out the window, but I mean, there's a lot at the line, on the line, I should say, for both programs, and all these kids know each other, um, but I think if you're, you're Mike Norvell, man, you, you're trying to get that first win over Florida. Um, who comes limping into town. You handled your other rival, Miami, a, a few weeks ago. I mean, you have a chance to take the over as the top dog in, in the Sunshine State, and I think that's a huge opportunity for the Seminoles. And then on the, on the flip side, the Gators, I mean, they come limping in after falling to Vanderbilt. Can you imagine Billy Napier in, in his first season? He loses uh, to Tennessee. He loses to Georgia, and then he would lose to Florida State, and you'd also have a a Vanderbilt loss on his record. So, obviously, recruiting has changed in this NIL landscape. Uh, Some of the decisions aren't aren't based on the same things they were previously, but I think narrative and and perspective and optics is is still extremely important for some of these kids, and it's all about relationships. You know, if you're going to get to a kid, it starts with a relationship. So, uh, a ton at stake is the bottom line. I'm sorry, that's um, two-game winning SEC winning streak, Vanderbilt. <laughs> who, ha- who has an outside chance of being Tennessee, you know, that's besides the point, um, you know. But, um, you know, like you mentioned, you know, what would it mean for, um, you know, Florida State to go in? They beat Miami to beat Florida. What would it mean for, you know, Mike Norvell building up momentum and winning this game? I think it signals that the rebuild is, is really kind of turning the corner, right? And, and, you know, it's year three coming in. He was on, uh, I think it was a hot seat. I know a lot of people will push back on that, but there were some questions, and that's because he hadn't done well against the rivals, and there were some inexcusable losses. And then you, you, you point to year three, and, and from what they did week one um, to what they've done now, I mean, they, they look like a cohesive unit. Uh, they're playing a, a, a brand of football that I think Mike Norvell has wanted to create and, and instill with the culture there. You know, I think he's got guys that want to be there and they've done that through high school recruiting and, and the transfer portal. And I think it would give them a ton of momentum heading into a, a really, really key off season. Right. And, you know, you, you listen around the state, you, you read the message boards, you, you check social media 
it seems like Florida and Miami, those fan bases think that they're just going to, everyone's going to retool their rosters. Uh, you know, 30 guys are going to leave. They're going to bring 40 guys in. Both those schools are doing that. And if that's the case, then, then FSU is in position where they're going to have the most stability out of the bunch. And, um, you know, they're recruiting well, not only in the class of 2023, they're recruiting well in the class of 2024. And I think they're going to be as aggressive as that, you know, as they have been in that transfer portal, looking for some one and two year rentals that can make an impact because they've had success doing that uh, over the past two years. As far as this season goes, you know, been a great season for FSU, eight and three, a chance to win 10 games for the first time since 2016. Uh, and we've seen some recruiting impact uh, when it comes to the 23 class. Usually a successful season has more of an effect the next class, but you've seen Brock Glenn commit. You've seen Hakeem Williams and, and, and Blake Nicholson uh, this season, three really impressive recruits in this 23 class. Uh, but, you know, you, you're talking with a lot of kids. You're, you're going to a lot of different high schools and, and meeting with coaches. So, you know, just from what you've been able to kind of gather, the overall momentum that's been built on the trail, is that it, does it seem like FSU is really building something with these wins? And I know the 24 class, they've got some really good guys committed as well. But do you, what, what have you kind of seen from that aspect relative to where they were before the season? Uh, I think so. I mean, you remember last, let's go back to the, the, the previous year, that, that 2022 cycle. You know, they had such a, a talented group committed, you know, Travis Hunter, a, a few different other guys, and then the season played out and, and they lost some games and it, it kind of fell apart at, at the buzzer. Now they still got some of those guys on, on campus. I mean, it wasn't a complete wash, but it could have been a little bit better. Um, and then you look to what they did in, in the 2023 cycle. I think they're a little bit more reserved, kind of changed the strategy in terms of how they approach things and, and how they attack things. And they wanted to make sure, number one, that they're going after guys that wanted to be at Florida State and guys that checked off the right boxes. And then, and the number two, they weren't rushing to take those kids commitments. You know, it, it, it was more of, Hey, you know, when you, when you feel like you're, you're, you, sh- you want to be in, then we're ready to take you. And I, I think that's a smart strategy. Um, you know, uh, look at a guy like Lucas Simmons. I mean, there's still some, some big battles out there. Lucas Simmons, the, the top two, four, seven tackle. That's, that's for originally from Sweden. You know, Alex Atkins told that kid to take to take the visits, right, and and, and make sure. And that didn't work out with with Roderick Kearney, but um, it, it's worked out with Lucas Simmons, and it's worked out with some of these other guys. I, I think with what Florida State's done, you know, with, with number sixteen in the in the college football playoff rankings on on, on Tuesday night. I mean, it, it, it's this is they're in the spotlight for the first time in a while, and that's allowing them to potentially kind of go for BPA, what we call best player available. And, and, and you know, they're in the conversation with, with Cedric Baxter. Um, uh, I, I consider him a five-star running back out of the Orlando area. That's a kid that was a one-time committed to the Seminoles. You know, his high school coach went to Florida State. He grew up a Florida State fan. And I don't think if FSU wasn't having this type of season and, and running the football as successful as it's been, I don't even think they'd be in the conversation with him. So I do think – that's where uh, it, it has really paid off, and we'll see what they're able to go out and grab here really over the next, what, five weeks uh, before that, that December 21st signing day. You mentioned Cedric Baxter, and um, obviously we've seen Mike Norvell put, you know, running backs in the NFL and Tony Pollard, Darrell um, Henderson, and, you know, um, Antonio Gibson was under him, I believe. Um, so, and then you see the um, success of Trey Benson and Trayshawn Ward and Lawrence Totilli this year, so... Um, how much is like um, when Baxter watches that when you talk to him? How much does that impact his recruiting? I think the, you know. I mean, let's let's be real. I, I said it a few minutes ago. Just kind of with the current NIL landscape. I mean, that is a that is a driving factor in in, in a lot of these uh, recruitments. And it seems like over the past few weeks, we've seen more coaches kind of come out and say that and. You know, peel back the, the curtain a little bit. I, I think Tom Allen, I, I retweeted it a few days ago. I mean, Tom Allen went, went for eight minutes, and he's that coach at Indiana, just kind of about what it's about. So, I, you know, I think that plays a factor in, 
and, and, and what Cedric Baxter and his decision, obviously he's committed to Texas right now. He's got a really good relationship there with Deshard Choice, the, the running backs coach. Uh, we all know what they've done with Dejan uh, Robinson, the running back there. So, uh, you know, I, I think he's getting pulled in a lot of different directions. Uh, but, I, you know, the fact that FSU has put running backs in the league, right, we, we saw um, – Cedric tweet out, what was it, the Dalvin Cook highlights uh, a few, was that last Friday? Um, he knows that Mike Norvell has taken guys from his time at Memphis and got them to Sundays. I think that all comes into consideration. I think if I'm Florida State, my biggest selling point is, hey, we're running the football. We're running it at a, a very successful you know, rate. We got a great offensive line coach in place in Alex Atkins, and, and that's what we want to do. I mean, we want to, to pound the rock, so... I think that's also kind of one of the reasons why uh, Cedric is, uh, you know, taking a second look at FSU. Andrew, th- there's been a lot of talk about what Florida State's doing re- recruiting wise. I think that uh, the transfer portal has been so good for them these first few years. They they have really hit on a lot of their evaluations, not just a lot of great guys that they've had, you know, Jared Verse, Trey Benson, Jermaine Johnson, but not a lot of just trash players, right? Like not a lot of busts. They, they've really hit on a lot of these guys. But the question is, is that a sustainable method? Can, can they do that every year? I don't think they want to do that. I think they want to eventually wean off and, and get more high school kids each class. But I'm wondering – you know, when when you look at FSU and, and and you look at that number, like how sustainable is that? What number should they be getting to each class? Like, is there like a number that you come up with, like, or a percentage that you come up with? And then comparing that to Florida, Miami, what they're doing, at what point does it become a little dangerous when they're getting in top ten classes every time, and if you're getting you know the number twenty class? At what point do they begin to kind of catch up with you? I know I just threw a lot at you there, but that's those are all the questions I've been asked. It's, it's a fascinating, like, I feel like you're predicting the future kind of thing. Right, right, right. And, you know, I, I think we're still trying to figure out what the magic formula is. And I talk with a lot of different people, whether that be on the inside or, or, or people that are on the outside or, or, or just people that are familiar and have worked in recruiting departments and, and have to go out and recruit it just about, about roster management and the NCA kind of relaxing the counters has, has changed my theory. But for the longest time, I, I thought you had 25 counters, right? You got 25 counters a year. I always thought that kind of the magic, the magic formula, the magic numbers were about 18 high schoolers and, and then seven guys in the transfer portal. And, and you try to get guys that are going to make an impact. So that's that's kind of what I envisioned it. Like that's 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 what you'd want to do, um, because I think high school recruiting is still like the NFL draft. Like you still have to do it. Um, let's take the Los Angeles Rams for example. You know the Rams. Yes, they went really free agent heavy in, in their run up to last year's Super Bowl, but. They also had a roster where they hit on a bunch of fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks, guys that came in and made an impact. So I think if you kind of compare the NFL to current college football, you still got to build through the high school ranks. You still got to develop. You still got to find guys, hit on them, and then you're playing with house money. And then the transfer portal is like free agency. You go out and, and you know, essentially you're trying to fill holes, but if you can also upgrade at certain positions and and now that kids don't have to sit, you know, don't have to sit out a year. You don't have to take grad transfers. I mean, you can be aggressive, and, and you can go get a guy that can make a difference at a premium position. It used to just be quarterbacks, right, and, and edge rushers, but now we're seeing wide receivers. And, and Florida State obviously had a ton of success uh, getting Johnny Wilson and and and, and the, you know some of those other receivers that have gone in there. And it seems like that's the plan again to go out and get wide receivers. Everyone's looking for wide receivers. But it used to just be certain positions. And now uh, I think more and more people are looking for a Tatum Bethune, a, a linebacker that can come in and, and be a reliable starter, a guy that's not, not green. So I, I don't know what the, the answer is going to be, but if we what we have seen is – you know, everyone points to Alabama and Nick Saban. That's that's the Death Starship, and he's got it all figured out. 
you know, a lot of their guys on their two deep roster transfers that came in. So I think if they're doing it, you know, more and more people are, are, are going to be open to it. I think that's more of the answer. I don't have the exact calculations. I think you still got to build through high school recruiting is my, is my bottom line. And I've actually talked to some people in Tallahassee, it, it, but, you know, a couple of months ago, they, they agreed with me, you know, that was coming from the top. Uh, but at the end of the day, it seems like Florida State wants to take good football players, guys, again, that want to be in Tallahassee, guys that fit Mike Norbell's vision. And, and whether that's through uh, the high school ranks, the junior college ranks, or, or the transfer portal, that's what they're looking for. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, um, recruiting being a lifeline, um, and, you know, playing Florida, Florida State's playing Florida this week. And it seemed like, Dan, um, from what I've heard, Dan Mullen kind of quit in the recruiting trail. How has Napier come in to kind of, um, you know, revamp that recruiting over there? Um, the example I've been giving people is I went to Florida's kind of Friday night lights camp, and that was the thing Urban Meyer started. I've been going to that for years back in the summer. I went um, when Dan Mullen's final year, and, and it was loaded with talent. I mean, Evan Stewart was out there the wide receiver that's now uh, at Texas A&M and, and, and playing. But there was a quarterback that, that I knew who he was, but I don't think anyone else wearing the orange and blue knew who he was, and, th- and that's this kid, Austin Novosad. He's a, a top 100 talent that, that's committed to Baylor. He was an Elite 11 finalist, and um, some schools have tried to flip him, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Uh, now it's TCU's trying to make a run at him. But but the bottom line is he was in Gainesville. He was throwing. I don't, I don't think anyone knew who he was there. He was just some underclassman. Um I don't think that would have happened under Billy Napier. And, and when Napier came in, he made it clear he was going to hire an army of people. And when I showed up this past July for his first Friday Night Lights, you got to see firsthand that army of people at work, right? I mean, they were putting catapult GPS systems on, on certain prospects. Um, the coaching staff would stop what they're doing to shake hands with uh, priority targets and I just think he's completely revamped that department. It feels like an SEC um, type of operation. You know, I've never gone behind the scenes at Alabama, but I would I would assume it's it's pretty similar. You know, at Georgia, they have twenty guys that are unsung heroes working in that that recruiting pit that that grind through film. I think he's brought that to to Gainesville. And then when you look at the recruiting class. You know, I think top to bottom, what what Napier has done, I, I I just love it. And so much, of, so so many times when when the common fan looks at you know a school's group, they're going to look right at the top, uh, you know, to see what five stars you have and, and whatnot. But I think the success of a class is really judged on you know if you rank the commits one through twenty, you know what what does fifteen through twenty look like? What does ten through twenty look like? Because that's where you got to. You can't afford to miss, right? Especially with guys moving around it as much as they are, top to bottom. I mean, I've seen pretty much all these guys that, that Napier has committed, and I like a lot of them. Sixteen kids from the state of Florida. They're recruiting uh, their backyard. At, I looked it up at since as, as best it's ever been, at least since 2013. So he's doing an excellent job there. I think. I think one question is is sort of like a evaluation versus like star power. Uh, like that, that's been kind of the question, at least for now in the short term, because you'd think that what Florida state's doing on the field will translate to better recruiting. But for right now, they've been having tons of classes outside the top 15, but they have seemed to do really well with evaluation under, under Mike Norvell. And, and certainly, like this class, I, I tweeted this out last night, but, you know, not, not only are they getting a four-star quarterback this class, but, you know, Hakeem Williams is the third-ranked receiver, or third, the third-highest-ranked receiver they've gotten since 2003. Uh, Lucas Simmons is the top-ranked offensive tackle since 2016. Sam Singleton's the first guy who's been four-star plus uh, at running back per 247 and rivals since the 2017 class. Uh, Nicholson's the top-ranked linebacker since 2016, and and then Keldrick Falk is the top-ranked defensive lineman since 2017. And, and I think the craziest stat, and that, that throwing a lot there, but the, the craziest one to me, I believe, was Robert Cooper is the last top 150 kid that they've gotten that's been outside the defensive back position. 
They, they have gone through a, a major top 150 drought. So they, they haven't really been getting them. Now they're starting to get them. For them to like go from being a 9-3 a and three team to being back to where they were, being back to college football playoff contention, where does that recruiting need to start going high school-wise? Do they need to get top 10 classes consistently? Or are they evaluating so well that they can afford to be you know, around the top 15 and then just do really well in the transfer portal? think again you know what is the magic formula i mean the data says that you kind of got to string together back to back to back top 10 classes that's kind of that's kind of the name of the game um because as you build out that too deep and and we're seeing it right now across all of of college football but we're we're in rivalry week that's week week 13 i mean how many games have you watched where you're like, this quarterback's playing? I mean, it, it really comes back down to depth. And I, I think the ACC still runs through Clemson. I think that's that's pretty clear. And and the thing is with Clemson, you know, they're a school that doesn't use the transfer portal, right? They don't use it at all. Um, but late in the year, I mean, they still, when a guy goes down, it, it's still a blue chip kid coming in and, and filling for it. it and taking over and, and playing and making plays and stepping up in the moment. And I think when you look at Florida State, when you look at Miami and, and some of the other schools in the ACC, that's where the difference has been, right? You know, they don't have that depth. So how, how do you build that out? I think it comes down to, again, stacking some classes back to back to back. Hopefully you can get them into the top 10. Um, but if you're going to be sitting at 15, then it, 15 to, to 20, then it's going to have to be about quality. And you're right. Florida State has made some some good evaluations. Um, they were on Lucas Simmons from the jump. I, I think he's he's really good. And you know, you, you mentioned a lot of guys towards the the top of of, of the class. Uh, to me, I look at that back end. You know, there's some good football players there. Jabril Rawls, the, the cornerback from Pensacola Catholic. I remember him being at the Seminole Showcase. You know, Mike Norvell was following him around. He's had a hell of a senior season. I think that's a guy that could be in the two deep within within two years. Darren Goldie, Goldie Lawrence, the wide receiver there from Sanford Seminole. I mean, that program has turned out some some good guys. Uh, Keaton Kirkland, Tavion Gadsden, the defensive lineman from Savannah. That's one of my colleagues' favorite players. So I, I do think they've done a good job, and I want to see what happens in in, in twenty twenty four. Right. So let's say Florida State beats Florida. They go to a bowl game. I mean, they're, they're, again, they're going to be the top dog in the state. And Norvell can go and, and sit in living rooms. Hey, I beat Brian Kelly in LSU. Hey, you know, I beat Billy Napier in Florida. Hey, I smashed Mario Cristobal in Miami. What kind of access does that get them to some of those guys? Because what the, the group they already have committed now in 2024, it's already got a bell cow in, in Luke Cromanoke, the quarterback. So there's a chance that they could get some big-time talent committed. Um, you know, so speaking of Luke, you know, um, what does he mean for the 2024 class? And, you know, just um, how big, like, you know, he's a player you mentioned, like, you know, that Florida State evaluated early on that was going to be a good fit for them. And now he's grown to, like, the star player a little bit. I, I So I like what, what, what Florida State has kind of done at, at quarterback. And I wrote this after Brock committed or, or flipped on, on Monday night. You know, I would assume – Probably Jordan Travis comes back. I think. I mean, you guys would know better than me. I think if you're a Florida State fan, you you kind of hope for that, right? And then and then Brock comes in. He enters that quarterback competition with potentially with AJ Duffy and and Tate Rodemaker, who has had his moments, um, most notably that that Louisville game. And those guys kind of battle it out and. I think that sets up perfectly because I'm a huge Luke Cromanoke guy. You know, I saw him play in what was his third career start, and, and I'm sure most Florida State fans are familiar with his his situation. As a sophomore, he's backing up a kid that signed with Auburn, so he played wide receiver and, and safety. So he's still very green, but I think he has the tools to be elite. I, I love his, his skill set. He can – he can rip it down the sidelines. He's athletic. He can do the RPOs. Um, I've compared him to, to Ryan Tannehill. If you're kind of trying to figure out like 
what he looks like, what he's capable of doing. He's like a plus athlete um, that's playing the position that's tall and tall and skinny. So I, I, I think the quarterback room's is setting up perfect with, with, with Brock Glenn and, and, like I said, Duffy. You know, let those guys battle it out. Don't rush Luke onto the field because we've seen so many quarterbacks in recent years kind of get, uh, you know, deer in the headlight moments and, and, and you feel like they almost get broken. Uh, but but Luke's a guy that I, I anticipate this spring is going to make a big rise in, in terms of the national recruiting talk. He's a guy that's going to be on the seven-on-seven circuit. He's a guy that elite skill players are going to see at a variety of different camps that I would fully expect him to be in the Elite 11 finals. And I think if you are trying to build out a class, having a guy like that in it from the jump is is super important. All right, I got a two-part question for you here, Andrew. So uh, with with Brock and Luke, but uh, with, with Luke, I, I'm doing this story on him, and I talked to his uh, – to his high school coach, or not? His, well, I talked to his high school coach, but I talked to his trainer, uh, Coach Denny Thompson, who who actually works with Anthony Richardson as well. And and he told me, I mean, you talked about the big rise. I mean, he was a nobody a year ago uh, until FSU offered him, and, and things went sent have gone crazy since. But now you guys have him as the number ninety five player in the class. And when I when I asked Coach Thompson about this. He he believes that he'll finish as a top five player, uh, top five player in the class. Um, I'm wondering if if you see that potential in him. Uh, one other crazy thing I learned: uh, Luke told me that 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 the the guy that he like idolizes and wants to play a lot like is, is Josh Allen. I'm wondering if if you see. I mean, a crazy comparison there, but like, is that a comparison you see at all? And then lastly, I guess three-part question, Brock Glenn, what do you like about what you've seen from him? Okay, let's let's start on, on Luke, and uh, Denny's a great guy. I was actually at his facility um, a, a few weeks ago, and we, we've talked about Luke. I mean, is he going to be a top-five player in the country? I <laughs> I mean, he, it's going to – ask me that question after – this upcoming off season, but he's, he's obviously a guy that, again, we liked. It's not just me kind of leading that conversation at, at 24 seven sports. I mean, there's multiple guys that have watched him, me getting some eyes on him in person was so important. But again, there's a lot to like just with the fact that he's kind of a, uh, uh, got a multi-sport background and, um, and, and he played other positions. Go back to last year in the NFL playoffs, the, the divisional round, right? Seven of the eight quarterbacks that started in that game played at least three different sports in high school. And I know Luke, I don't think he's doing baseball and basketball still, but he grew up doing that. And, and um, you know, so he's, he's not just this refined quarterback prospect that's been so focused solely on that. I, th- I still think there's a lot to unlock with him this the other thing is is the frame you know he's over 6'3 he's athletic um and and you know last seven nfl drafts there hasn't been a quarter there's been just one quarterback under six foot selected that was tyler murray who's kind of an elite multi-sport athlete so he he checks off a lot of the right boxes he's having a a good season i mean he could have came out and, and and been terrible but he's responded at benedict Team military school and again we really like him so we'll see uh, I think the off seasons him throwing alongside his peers will be important and, and more importantly just getting those getting those uh, game reps in now is he the next Josh Allen uh, again I've compared him to Ryan Tannehill but when I did see him play down in Miami he played against Miami Columbus um, which is one of the top programs in the state you know they, they churn out guys all the time and there was a scramble where he was running out of bounds, I think, in the second quarter, um, and, and and a linebacker went for what, what, what maybe if we had a little replay could have been a late hit. He, he tried to pop Luke as Luke was going out of bounds, but Luke just went and lowered the shoulder and actually trucked the linebacker and sent him flying. So I do think he's got some 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 Josh Allen kind of run style in him, and there were some other occasions where he broke out of some some sacks. Um, or what should have been sacked. So I, I could see it. I don't think he's as big as, as, as Josh Allen, but you could see how he kind of emulates that in his game. Now the third thing, Brock Glenn, what, what I like about him, and he's a guy I saw 
uh, at a at a seven on seven tournament, um, and I, I'll never forget this because I I interviewed him and I think like Mississippi State was the school that was kind of buzzing on him, and he's like, no, I'm going to go visit Florida State um, next weekend, and I talked to our guys at Knowles two four seven. I'm like, hey, he's saying this. Uh, and it was right when Florida State had a commitment from Chris Parson, or, or they're about to get a commitment from Chris Parson. I can't remember the timeline exactly. But sure enough, I, I went and wrote. Hey, he's, he says he's going to visit. I, you know, all these Florida State fans told me I had no idea what I was talking about. So <laughs> fast forward six months, it's pretty funny because he's now a member of that of that recruiting class. But uh, to me, he's a guy who, it, when you look at the numbers, they're eerily similar to what Jordan Travis did coming out of high school in terms of the testing, in terms of, of, of the production. I mean, Brock Glenn, 6'2", 195, 478 in the 40, 425 shuttle, 33.6 inch for Travis, Jordan Travis coming out of high school, 6'1", 185, 468, 40, 432 shuttle, 31.3 inch for, um, I saw Jordan Travis in, in the same type of settings coming out. And to me, basically what I'm saying is I think he fits what, Mike Norvell, Alex Atkins, and those guys want to do. They want to run the football, right? Um, but they want a quarterback that is also athletic, can make throws on the run, um, can beat defenses with his legs. And, and I think Brock can do all that stuff. And, you know, I, he, he hasn't put up the be- the biggest of numbers there in, in Memphis as, as, a, as, a, uh, as a senior, but he's also played in an offense that is very, very balanced. So... I'm a fan of the fit. I think it allows the Seminoles to continue to do what they want to do um, in terms of move that quarterback around, put him in position to make plays within the scheme. I, I don't know how much improvising he's going to do, but I, I just think it's a perfect fit in terms of system. Okay, thanks again to Andrew Ivins, National Recruiting Analyst for 247 Sports. Really good conversation. Always love talking about recruiting. Uh, but but now we're going to get into the game of the season? I don't know. Uh, Essen, tell me what you think. Florida State, Florida, what, what does it mean for FSU? Is it the biggest game of the season? And what would a win mean for this program? So I'm going to borrow a um, phrase from Mike Norvell. It's the biggest game this week. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no... Um... Yes, it's a huge game for Florida State. You know, um, they've lost three in, a stri- three in a row to Florida in the series. They beat Miami this year. You know, um, Florida's coming off a loss to Vanderbilt. A pretty bad loss to Vanderbilt last weekend. Um, you know, and Florida State's riding high. The m- momentum's on their side. Losing a game this week to Florida. Florida loses this game, you know, it sucks. They, You know, you count on your fingers, that's a loss to Georgia, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. Um, Tennessee and Florida State in one year. That's not great. But year one under, um, you know, Billy Napier, you could write it off because they got the number eight recruiting class. They could, you know, they'll bounce back, you know. Mike Norvell, you know, third year under with Florida, for second time placing Florida, playing Florida because of the COVID year. They need to win this game to make a statement. It's at Doak Campbell Stadium. They have all the momentum, you know, um, Florida's still ahead of them in recruiting rankings. Miami's ahead of them in recruiting rankings. They swooped um, Miami. Winning this game will be huge for their, you know, for it because last year it looked like Florida State was back the last four games of the year, won four in a row, and then lost to Florida, and that momentum crashed. You know, so winning this game is huge for them. Yeah, it's almost uh, Florida State has more to lose, but they probably also have more to gain because. Even if Florida wins, seven wins, okay, you know, oh, great. You still lost to Vanderbilt. You still lost to Georgia and Tennessee and Kentucky. You know, that's still not a, a, a great season. Florida State, this season, this season can really, like, the finish. If you go 4-0 and in November, you beat Miami, LSU, and Florida – and 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 if you can get ten wins, I mean that's that is truly putting a stamp on this season being one of the best ones, in and in, in, in nearly a decade. And so I think it, it, it'd be huge. But yeah, 
so more a lot to gain, more to gain, but also more to lose. You lose this, and you're losing almost as a double-digit favorite at home. You're losing to a team that just lost to Vanderbilt, and you're losing to a team, like you said, that's kicking butt right now on the recruiting trail. It could give them momentum. It could lose you momentum. But overall, just you haven't beaten this team since 2017. This is the one time you have your best chance to beat them, and then next year you'd be going to Gainesville. They need to win this game. Let's I'm sure it's going to be expected that Commodores have a two-game winning streak in the SEC. Just saying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Soon to be three. Yeah. That's my bold prediction for the week, you know. But, um, well, um, you can remember that when they win this week, Dandy, um, okay? <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, um, this game is a huge game. It's important. And, you know, like you mentioned, more to lose, more to gain. Um, just overall, um, you know, there's going to be recruits that some are going to be here, you know, not all of them because of, of the Friday night game, which we talked to Andrew about, so we're not going to go back into that. Yeah. But, um, and we could see it, like, you know, um, they won't say Florida's name by name. Um, Mike Norvell was a little more, you know, guarded. Um, Jordan Travis is short with his antes, but even more so today, like, you know, they are very, very uptight. They don't want to give Florida any motivation, any bulletin board material. On the other side, might not be true. It's, it's really been funny to watch just going to interviews this week and Trying to ask every question. I mean, we're not trying to provoke anything. We're just, you know, doing our jobs. But you want to get an insightful answer. You know, I asked Jordan Travis today what his early earliest memory was of uh, the Florida State-Florida rivalry. He was just like, eh, I don't really have one. I didn't really, eh. And I'm like, wait, what? That's not true. Like, that, as, the, as the young kids say, that's major cap. Like, there, there's just no way... Carter. <laughs> that could be true. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna regret saying that. But anyway, there was that. I also asked him like, "Hey, do you know Anthony Richardson at all? Like, do you have a relationship with him?" He's like, "Nah, not really." Like he, and, and every response was like four words. Uh, I remember uh, yesterday, Mike Norvell was asked like, "So have you always done the no name thing? Like, do you, do you, uh, like when it comes to rivals?" And he's just like. Uh, it's just something I do, yeah. It just just got real awkward and tense, and, and it was the first question in the press conference. It's just you can see how much this game means to this team, and it's been pretty fun to watch. You know them practice this week and just kind of carry that emotion. I think they they hit it a little bit with Miami, and after it, you you just saw the the freaking crazy emotion they had, you know, lighting up the cigars. I think this week it's showing a little bit more because I think they know that they win this game. Like, wow, what a win it would be for the program. But, yeah, it's been funny to watch that this week. I mean, you like you mentioned, they beat Miami last year. They beat them. Yeah. That's checklist thing. Obviously, you want to beat them every year. But checklist, they know they could do that. Florida, they still have to go over that hump. It's, that's, 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 I think it's a big deal. And, you know, um, promoting a piece early, you know, I'm talking about my opponent preview, is, um, you know, I start with a nice anecdote where, you know, um, Norval talks about, you know, um, how Billy Napier followed him at Arizona State um, as the offensive coordinator, or Arizona, sorry. Which one was it? Sorry. Arizona State, yeah. Arizona State, like, so, yeah. So, he followed him there, you know, as the offensive coordinator there. And, um, you know, um, he doesn't know him personally, but it was a that was one question he answered, like, you know, up front, um, he was, you know, talking about, like, you know, how he, people he's talked to has respect for about Napier. So, and then he talked about the offense and how it's well-crafted and how it, the scheme works. So that was interesting that one of the few answers he gave, you know, because he could probably look at that sideline and say, like, hey, look, I was here in this situation a few years ago. I, um, I admire how far our program's come. Napier's fascinating because... I think when you compare the three big three coaches, like Norvell, you didn't truly know till this year, like what what you had in him. I felt like Cristobal, we kind of had an idea about him. He was at Oregon. You saw what Justin Herbert did in the NFL and how just like 
how he underutilized him. Always a fantastic recruiter, but very questionable X's and O's guy. And and you're seeing it this year, and and he, he's kind of said some questionable things publicly about turning over his roster, and and you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to get into that, but just like there's, he has definitely sparked some controversy. Whereas Napier, when you hear about him, he's so organized. He's he's got. Uh, just this Saban-like approach when it comes to creating a staff that that mirrors what an NFL staff would look like. You know what Andrew uh, alluded to just a little while ago, you know, about the yep. recruiting, um, you know, people they have everywhere. Yeah. The question for, for Napier has been making the jump from a group of five school to, to Florida and handling the crazy, crazy expectations that come with it. I mean, remember – uh, long ago, when they when they lost, uh, I believe it was after when they lost Jaden Rashada to, to Miami, he had to pen an open letter to their fan base, uh, basically uh, apologizing and telling them that things would get better. And that was three months on the job; he hadn't even coached a game yet, and so handling those expectations that come with that job, uh, he did a fantastic job at Louisiana. But yeah, translating that's the question. And, and that's why it's it's been fun to kind of follow the three big three coaches this year because we don't have that definitive answer yet on who's going to be the best of the three. But right now, Mike Norvell has got the momentum and has his program at a much better spot than the other two. And so you, you sweep him this year, you carry that momentum to next year, he can have a major lead on the other two and, and build off of that. Yeah, I mean, so um, I think, um, and, you know, <clears throat> moving on from that to the game a little bit, I think Adam Full had a great answer, you know. Florida State's in a unique system, in a unique situation this week, where they play a team that they saw last week. Not saying Louisiana's Florida, Florida's Louisiana, but, you know, Raging Cajuns uh, is where um, Greg Napier coached last year, or the last few years. Posted an ma- amazing record over there. One of his assistants is now the head coach over there. Mm-hmm. So, but he brought the offensive coordinator. He brought some players with him. So he ran a similar scheme, run a similar defense. So Florida State's going to see what they saw last week. Probably a little more talent with it just over here. But you know, they're going to see two weeks in a row. They're going to see the same offense. How much does that kind of you know um, benefit them? I mean, obviously you can't replicate Anthony Richardson. I think it benefits because I think coaches often lie when they tell you they don't look ahead. This gave them a built-in excuse to look ahead. Uh, like this got gave them an excuse to prepare for both essentially. Now, preparing for Anthony Richardson is is uh is a lot different than preparing for Chandler Fields who you know, I don't know if if that guy should be playing college football. That that was a uh, pretty pretty I bad. I also don't want to say we're preparing for Chandler Fields to be fair. Yeah, that that was uh I was not very impressed, but uh, overall, I would I would say that you know when you can you can kind of install some of those schemes and and tape and I mean they're I imagine like this is a staff that doesn't just watch the tape from this year they watch stat tape from previous years so you're able to kind of see that um, you're able to uh, essentially um, uh, pr- prepare for it but I think what FSU fans should know too is I don't think FSU probably showed a lot against how they'll defend it last week. Probably a pretty vanilla defense, probably, you know, not wanting to show Florida what, how they're going to kind of go against their defense. But overall, yeah, I do think it's different because the players are different. So it's kind of like the Duquesne game where you think, you know, how much does this game actually prepare you for LSU? But I do think having the similarities in offenses, it does help. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's this has also been a very hot and cold Florida offense. There have been times where they have looked phenomenal. They, they've been getting 300 rushing yards in, in games. And then there's other times where, like Vanderbilt, uh, they can't run the ball at all. And it, it's a struggle for them. So I don't really know what to expect. And, and Essen, I want to kick it to you here. If you're FSU, uh, you know, a lot of it's been 
Ben don't break, don't giving up explosive plays, uh, not giving up a lot downfield. Do you do you sell out against the 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 run and and just trust your secondary with with where they're ranked and number four in passing yards allowed, or do you just play your game or like how do you kind of approach a guy that can beat you through the air and on the ground? Yeah, no, I, I think um, Adam Fuller, once again, you know, bringing him up, had a great comparison. Watching Andrew Richardson, like, I have not thought about this, but, you know, and yeah. we both talked about Andrew Richardson a good bit. It's like watching a major league third baseman throw the ball. Like, that's a rocket out there. He has a rocket. And then, like, you know, um, against AM, he had that 60-yard run where it never looked like he was full effort. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, um, I think you've got to start off the game and play how you play. Um, you know, how you've been playing, how, what's been successful for you. And if it's not working, did you make the adjustment? And to your point, you know, Florida against Georgia, against LSU, yes, they fell behind by some points and, you know, um, did not look as great. But they competed well again, um, competed well in those games. Um, the games, they beat Utah, obviously, you know, the first game, week of the season. Um, so it, to me, it seems like a, fir- a traditional first-year team where they get up for the big games. Yeah, which is why I cannot see this game being a blowout like some have predicted. Um, so I think they get up; they will get up for this game and play, you know, to match that intensity. It's whether they can hang around is the question. Then you know later on. Yeah, thinking back to Miami, when it was a single-digit point spread, and at Miami, and people thought, "Oh, this this could be a close game." I remember thinking. This team sucks. Like, what are y'all talking about, dude? Like, Miami's terrible. Uh, they don't – like, I don't need to go into that. But Florida, you can actually see they've got some pretty good talent in some places. It, Anthony Richardson's the big X factor. He could he could go off at any game. You know, he threw 400 yards against Vanderbilt. You know, we don't talk about that. But, like, he, he is – I believe one of three quarterbacks in the country who has 2,300 uh, passing yards and 600 rushing. So, like, he can beat you in a lot of ways. He's also a really big quarterback. Was it 6'4"? Uh, what is he up to in weight? It's, it's, uh, it's up there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up. But um, he is, he's not just an elusive quarterback, but it's hard, to, uh, it's hard to bring him down once you do get a handle on him. He's 232. So, I mean, he is bigger than some of your linebackers uh, out there. So, it's a, it's a hard guy to bring down. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's um, – um, Bad news for FSU fans. Um, you know, they're starting looking at this, you know, um, there's another ETN coming to town. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just looking up his stats against Florida State in 2017-14-97, two touchdowns. Um, Florida State did a little better against them in 2018, 10 rushes, 45 yards. Then in 2019, 17 rushes, 127 yards. Uh, um, and then it does not look like he played against them in, 20, in 2020. So that's another home run threat. You know, um, I think he had an 85 yard run against um, the um, unbeatable um, South Carolina. Yeah. Well, so, you're, you're um, talking about his brother. You're not talking about the same guy. Tre- um, tre- um, Trevor Etienne. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another ETN coming to town who has, you know, played well against Florida State in the past. So that's another interesting aspect of this game is, is you know, um, Florida State's going to see the name on the back of Jersey and be like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, it, this defense is very interesting because you look at the last four weeks, the blowouts, they have not played a lot of snaps. 55, no one has played more than 55 snaps in the last four games. And then not just that, but there's also a bye week. So really it's the last five weeks no one's played more than 55 snaps. Uh, And a lot of guys haven't played over 45 snaps uh, at at multiple positions. It's a starting group that is very well rested. Uh, It's it's very odd. Like like it felt like the beginning of the season they were less fresh than they are at the end of the season. Because beginning of the season, they had all these injuries. Now they're healthy and wet rested and everything. So usually it's the other way around. But, you know, they should have some, some good. And, and I asked Adam Fuller about this. And, you know, he's a little coach speaking about it. But 
he made it sound like you know that they've made up for you know there there may not be a fatigue or stamina issue uh, because they they train to be ready no matter how many snaps they'll play. So it's not like oh because they've played thirty snaps a game they're not going to be able to handle sixty snaps a game. What it'll actually be is that they'll just be more fresh and more healthy. So that that's something to watch. But I also My think question about that is you know um, when you get when you do that. Sure, I mean, because you mentioned the weight room, like, you know, conditioning and stuff like that. Yeah. What happens if you take a hit for after 60 snaps is, you know, kind of what I want to watch. True. Because that's different, you know, that's different than, like, you know, working in the weight room. Taking a hit from Anthony Richardson, you know, because the guy will run over you if he has to, you know, um, some, you know, 60 snaps to take a game. That's where I want to see if the, you know, intensity stays the same. That's where it gets interesting. But, of course, one thing that Florida State has now that I did not have before the injuries kind of help with that is, um, you know, you have a rotation at defensive end where it's not going to be like, you know, Baby and Lovett and Robert Cooper out there for 60, 70 snaps, no matter what. Yeah. They're going to have their um, snaps limited because they're going to peak, especially against Florida, I think you're going to keep rotating, keep rotating, keep rotating. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I also think uh, why I think defense is such a big storyline here is they, they start off the season pretty suspect. I mean, they, they kind of had a tail two halves against LSU, and then they slipped up against Louisville and Wake, and and then, you know, they obviously slipped up uh, against Clemson. Uh, then they got it together, but it's kind of chicken and egg. It's like, well, they've played some awful, awful offenses. Georgia Tech, terrible. Louisiana. Backup quarterback. Backup quarterback. And backup quarterbacks. Uh, Georgia, so Georgia Tech, awful. Miami, awful. Louisiana, awful. And Syracuse has been playing awful for the last five weeks or maybe four weeks. And I think and, we could agree that um, Schrader is not healthy. Yes. Van Dyke was not healthy. Neither of them should be uh, – I won't say about Schrader. There was no reason Van Dyke should have been in that game. That was um, abuse. Yeah. So I look at this defense and I say, how good are they actually? Because do we think they're you know, number four – Passing yards allowed. Are they actually the fourth best secondary in the in the in the in the country? No, but that doesn't mean they're not good. I think they're good, but not elite. And so my my question is, how will they hold up against an offense that can put up a lot of yards and a lot of points? Um, I think they hold up well enough. In my final prediction, I've got uh, at Florida in the high twenties, but. Maybe this is a game where they get caught off guard and this turns into be a shootout because I also think, and we'll flip this over to the offensive side of the ball, I think Florida State, by every metric, should dominate this Florida defense. Uh, I mean, it, it, it should be a game where they get at least in the 30s, in my mind. But uh, wanted to wanted to kind of toss that up to you, see what you thought about uh, where, where this Florida State de- offense could maybe do. Oh, definitely. I think, um, you know, once again, Florida played better against you know defense. I think they a lot actually under two hundred yards of Vanderbilt. Um, just couldn't get the field because of stupid penalties for the first time this year. We've I've seen that from them. Um, but then like you know against Texas A and M, the first half was atrocious. Yeah. But after that, for whatever reason, they turned to flip the switch a little bit and played better the past two and a half games. But at the same time, it was A and M, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Yeah. Kind of like the Florida State situation, like. I don't believe they actually improved because they don't have, you know, and one thing we haven't talked about is Ventro Miller's out for the first, probably out for the first half. Yep. We haven't got confirmation that, I doubt his appeal process goes through. We haven't got confirmation, so it's still not 100% sure if he's out, but I highly doubt he plays. Um, and that's a, that's Florida's defense has struggled without him in the past. So to me, yeah, that offense, the offense should be able to put up points with ease. The only thing I caution is the reason I could see Florida State and I'm, I'm, I'm that's not my prediction. The reason I can see Florida State not getting a 30 is because they're like, no, we're going to keep Andrew Richardson on the side. We don't want to get into the shootout with him because he can sling the ball 70, 80 yards. He can run the ball 80 yards and just um, you know kill us that way. Let's run a 12-14 play offense, kind of like what we saw Wake Forest do to Florida State. Yeah. Because uh, you know, Wake Forest is an explosive offense as well, but they could have scored more points against Florida State, but they're like, no, we're going to take it methodically. Two to clock, and then get our points at the end of the drive, whether it be a field goal or a touchdown. And most, of, for the most part, I believe it was touchdowns for them. And make this a 
Florida gets two possessions in the first half, in the first quarter, two in the second quarter. That's it. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised if that's the case. It, it is a, a good thought experiment, but I do think Florida State could do the opposite as well because you look at it, they're the most explosive offense in the country in terms of explosive plays, uh, and they've started games off extremely well. Like their first half numbers, offensively and defensively, are off the charts. They could go into this game and build a you know seventeen to three lead, and then all of a sudden, Anthony Richardson and and that offense, you, you can't run the ball as much. They're going to be playing from behind, and Anthony Richardson is just enough hot and cold where he could throw that interception that you know that that could cost him. Like he's. He's not a guy who takes care of the football exceptionally well. So you could bank on a guy when you know it's an obvious passing down. Maybe he'll throw a pick or two when your defense knows what's coming. I mean, this year he's got eight interceptions. uh, So not exceptionally high, but high enough. And, And he's had a couple games here where he has been a little careless with the football. Now here is, here's where I'm interested in, uh, I think this could be a game where Florida State runs the ball maybe better than they have all season. And the the reason why is we saw first Trayshawn Ward uh, kind of get his swagger back last week. Uh, but you look at this Florida defense, seven of the last eight Power 5 opponents they've played, they've given up a 100-yard rusher. They rank number, I think they're 92nd in run defense. So the second worst run defense on Florida State's schedule behind Georgia Tech. The top two, Florida State ran for 200 yards against NC State Clemson. It doesn't matter who they play, they run the ball extremely well. And right now, their O-line is healthy. Trayshawn Ward's got his swagger back. And Trey Benson is playing at an unbelievable level. And then you tie in the piece about Ventral Miller, who is their second leading tackle at linebacker. This could be a game they run for 300 yards. And I also think Jordan Travis, he likes to run the ball more in the bigger games. I think he'll be more willing to run. That adds another dynamic to it. I really wonder if, yeah, this is a game where they run just crazy. Yeah, one thing I want to add to that, you know, you brought um, mentioned turnovers. That is one place, you know, Florida State's been better of late, <clears throat> but they're plus two, they're 52nd in the nation with that. Florida actually comes in fourth, um, second in the nation with 14 fumble recoveries, and their turnover margin of plus 10 is um, eighth in the nation. So if there's one way that Florida can flip the script, is that way. So Florida, and Florida State has um, struggled with ball security because we've seen Jordan Travis go yellow. <laughs> and put the ball up, you know, uh, a few times, and then uh, the running backs have put the gra- ball on the ground a couple times. I think It'll, we probably start moving towards um, predictions now. Been some fumbles for for Travis. Yeah, he's he's had a, yeah. I think three this year. Um, but yeah, actually, just looking now, Richardson. So he he had two interceptions each against USF and Kentucky, and then he had an interception against Tennessee, Eastern Washington, Mizzou. Uh, and Vandy, but actually, in the last one, two, three, four, five games, he's only had one pick. That one pick coming against Vanderbilt. So, I definitely could be wrong there. He 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 may have his act together, but we also need to know Florida State's defense has been a little bit more opportunistic lately. They've been getting more turnovers lately. Jamie Robinson's been more active. And obviously, that pass rush for FSU is playing at a very high level. So, which I think yeah. um, I want to bring up quickly before we move on is I'm actually looking at it. Florida is one of the least sacked teams. They allow one sack a game. That yeah, that's a, crazy. I didn't know that at all? I saw that today. I'm like, oh my god, wow, that's interesting. It's very interesting. And, and FSU's 13th, and actually, really impressive number. They have matched their sack total for last year with all the questions about. How will they replace Jermaine Johnson and Keir Thomas? They're actually getting more sacks than those two guys helped them get last year. Speaks so, to a whole lot, but um, that's a stat to watch for sure. I think you know is um, 
if Florida State's getting sacks, then they're definitely winning, right? Probably more than likely. Sacks, not- turnovers. I think they'll get there. They'll get theirs on offense. It's more about can their defense not get exposed like they did against Wake, Clemson, and, and Louisville, and the, the yep. second half against LSU. Yep. Um, you ready for predictions, Carter? I'm ready. I've got right. 38-27 Florida State. Um been going a little back and forth on this. I do think it'll it's got a good chance to to be a one possession game. I wouldn't be a betting man on this. Uh I would be more confident in the over than I would be the spread uh betting either way. Um I believe the over is at 62 right now. The spread's 9 and a half FSU, but I think I think this has a chance to be a high scoring game. Uh and and I think Florida State is just going to have too much power fi- or firepower, not power fire. <laughs> power, they can have some power fire probably too. <laughs> All right, so my prediction. Are you ready? Yep. Vanderbilt twenty seven, Tennessee, Tennessee twenty four. Oh, wow. Sorry, wrong game. <laughs> wrong game. Um, um, Florida, um, Florida State um, thir- um, will score forty two. Florida thirty nine. Um, let's bring back Essen's prediction. Um, from the um, 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 no, sorry, from NC State week, Ryan Fitzgerald game-winning field goal as time expires. You said forty-two thirty-nine is the prediction. Forty-one thirty-eight. Let's go. Forty-one thirty-eight. Yeah, forty-two thirty-nine is too weird. Forty-one thirty-eight. I like it. Um, man, we're we're the we're the over kings uh, today. So we really like that over. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be a fun one. This is our first FSU Florida game. This rivalry means a lot to the state. It's it's and gonna Miami be was fun. We had so much awesome. fun covering that Miami game. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just I love college football. Like I didn't grow up in Florida. I didn't grow up liking either of these teams or or disliking either of them. I just sort of watched from afar, and now now being able to to, to cover it's it's great. Uh, and before we let you guys go, uh, want to ask Essen real quick. Uh, give us an update about the soccer team. They're now in the Elite Eight. Uh, Brian Pinsky's got these girls playing at an extremely high level. Yeah, I mean, um, breaking news, Florida State's good at soccer. <laughs> Saw that coming. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know there was less expectations for this team, but, you know, they took care of business. Um, they've won, was it 4-0, 3-1, and 3-0 now. So they've conceded one goal and scored about 10. Um, obviously, all at home, they play... Um, uh, opponent they've never played before Arkansas this week. They've never played, but Brian Pensky had played against them twice last year. SEC championship game they won in the regular season. He lost against them, but he said they're an athletic team. They're a good team. Um, I'll talk a little bit of my um, preview that will be in Friday's newspaper, be online sometime Friday as well. Um, I'm actually ta- I talked to Jenna Nicelonger, who is a the king or the queen, I should say, of um, the corner kick, um, and I talked to her about her process for that. So. It's going to be interesting feature. It's going to be a fun feature about that. Florida State wins this week. They likely play the winner of um, Notre Dame, North Carolina. I think I think we've heard of those teams before, right? I think we have. I think we have. I think, we, I think Florida State beat them in the, in the ACC tournament after losing to both in the regular season. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun team. It's a dynamic team. Um, if you have an opportunity to go out there Saturday to watch them, I would highly encourage it. Um, Carter will be out there to cover soccer for the first time this season. So yes, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm on soccer duty. Can't wait. Uh, I'll be shivering. You have shiver just so you have to probably explain that to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Offsides. Uh, yeah, it, it's a five yard penalty, right? Um, <laughs> yes, five yard penalty. I'm at first down. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I, I'm in a soccer mood right now because the World Cup's got me fired up. Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. I mean, that game was at five a.m., so I had no idea. You know, I. I'm not. I don't wake up quite that early, but when I woke up and saw that, I was like, "Oh, okay, it's going to be this kind of World Cup." And th- and now we got FSU doing this. Um, you watch men's play at um, you know that the morning of the Florida State game. Florida yeah. State, Florida. They play yes. that Friday morning, Black Friday. So England, yeah, USA, um, yeah, go America. Let, let's let's go Americans, right? Uh, let's go Americans. <laughs> Yeah, it's exciting, but uh, also wish it didn't conflict with college football season. Uh, World Cup is, is very selfish. 
They wanted to have it in November. I'm like, hey guys, uh, maybe maybe have this during the summer. Uh, but uh, no, that that's uh, that's about it this week. You got anything else you wanna you wanna plug, uh, Essen? I'm not. I think you have something to plug. You have a story coming up for Thanksgiving. Yeah, sort of like uh, what to be thankful for for this uh, Florida State football team. Uh, I always like doing these kind of stories during the holidays. Just kind of reminding fans like, hey, you, you got a lot to be thankful for this year. Maybe if I came out with this story two years ago, y'all would have rolled your eyes and said, uh, no, we actually don't like w- stop. But this year, you actually have so many things. And coming up with my, my list has been actually hard. It, it seems like there's been so many things to be thankful for if you're an FSU football fan. Obviously, excitement is at a, uh, is at a high right now. So um, with that, uh, that's all we got for you guys this time around. FSU Florida, 7.30 p.m. in Dope Campbell Stadium, Friday can't wait to cover it for you guys. You, you can, you can uh, see our content at Tallahassee.com or at Null Sports on Twitter. We appreciate you guys for listening.